It's time for Shattered Soulstone. Featuring the latest news from Sanctuary and beyond. Each episode, a heroic party of Nephilim band together to help keep you informed on everything in the Diablo universe. And now, your Diablo Community Podcast. Coming to you from somewhere in Sanctuary, this is episode 352 of Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. This episode is called Support Team. It is March 24, 2022, and this is Jen. So I'm going to start off with some of the Blizzard stuff that's been going through the news in the past week since the previous show. There's an article here by Games Industry Biz, and it's titled, Judge Prepared to Approve... Activision Blizzard's settlement with EEOC. California DFEH objections dismissed as, quote, simply inaccurate. $18 million fund deemed, quote, fair, reasonable, and adequate. So this is um, a little bit from the editor-in-chief of Games Industry Biz, James Batchelor. He wrote this on the 23rd of March, 2022. So I'll give you a little bit of this article. The judge overseeing the case between Activision Blizzard and the United States Equal Employment Opportunity Commission is prepared to approve the settlements proposed by the two parties last year. There's a link to Axios' Stephen Totillo, which I'll get to in a minute. Uh, Shared court documents showing Judge Dale S. Fisher's plans to have a final hearing on the matter on Tuesday, March 29, where she expects to approve the, the proposal following, quote, limited further argument, end quote, and court-requested revisions to the decree. There will be no written decision unless either Activision Blizzard, the EEOC, or both request one. The settlement was first discussed back in September and followed the EEOC's own investigation into workplace issues at the Call of Duty publisher. Under the terms of the proposed settlement, Activision Blizzard promised to create an $18 million fund to, quote, compensate and make amends to eligible claimants as determined by the EEOC. The publisher also pledged to improve training tools to improve workplace policies and practices, hire an internal equal employment opportunity coordinator, and bringing in a neutral third-party EEO consultant approved by the EEOC. The state of California's Department of Fair Employment and Housing objected to this agreement, claiming it would harm its own case against Activision Blizzard. One particular concern was that the settlement would release the publisher from further claims under California state law. So it just kind of goes on from there a little bit. And everything I talk about today is going to be linked into the show notes at ShatteredSoulStone.com. So if you want to read the rest, it'll all be over there. And since the first article mentioned Stephen Totillo, who is uh, covering video games for Axios and the co-author of the Axios Gaming Newsletter, where you can sign up to if you want to click the link on his bio on Twitter, he wrote this on the 22nd. Breaking, judge is prepared to approve Activision misconduct settlement with feds, parentheses, EEOC settlement, $18 million victims fund, three years oversight, denies former Blizzard workers motion to intervene, waves off much of California's DFEH objections as, quote, simply inaccurate, hearing on March 29. And he's got some screenshots here from this, and some of it is just like legalese in there, you know, so it's... 
Yeah, so here's like a piece of this. The court has reviewed all filings in this matter and is prepared to approve the proposed amended consent decree, subject to limited further argument and revisions addressing the court's concerns. The court does not intend to issue a written decision unless one or both parties submit to a proposed order. And then there's some stuff that they want to see that the court would like to see to make this easier. Here's how they want it to be written. There's a signature thing. There's questions on there. You know, this sort of thing. So, And the hearing is going to take place by Zoom only. So that's what this particular thing is. And uh, Stephen Totillo continues, Judge Fisher had signaled her skepticism of California's arguments back in December, calling some of them speculative. In today's order, she states that the settlement does not require or authorize destruction of documents. California read it as doing so. So I'm looking at this uh, part of this here and... The California Department of Fair Employment and Housing, DFEH, moves to intervene in this case for for the purposes of, quote, protecting the interests of California and its workers, end quote, commenting on the proposed consent decree between the parties and to request a fairness hearing. The court must allow intervention as of right where the intervening party, quote, claims an interest relating to the property or transaction that is the subject of the action and is so situated that disposing of the action may be a practical matter may as a practical matter impair or impede the movement's ability to project its interest basically this is saying let me in let me in specifically dfeh seeks to challenge the voluntary claims process that the consent decree would establish and argues that the consent decree would release california state law claims and allows or potentially even requires defendants to destroy evidence relevant to dfeh's state court case I think it's written by the judge uh, or the court says the first interest belongs to the individuals who might make claims under the claims process, not to DFEH. DFEH's argument would allow it to potentially intervene in almost any employment action in California goes on from there. So basically they're, they're just not interested. The court or the judge is not interested. Uh, It's signed by uh, judge Dale S. Fisher, United States district judge. So I'm going to assume that's her opinion to basically block out the DFEH from these proceedings. There's a couple little tweets from Stephen Totillo after this. A key argument against the settlement had been California's and the ex-Blizzard worker at Tech Jess's assertion that anyone who, who agrees to the federal settlement would have to release Activision Blizzard from any state claims. Seems that issue will be addressed at next week's hearing. And so there's a little more from there. On March 24th, which is today as I'm recording this, Polygon has an article. And that article is titled... A new suit against Activision Blizzard alleges, quote, rampant sexism, end quote, and retaliation. The lawsuit follows the plaintiff's press statement last December. Now, you may remember, I talked about this on Shattered Soulstone before. Uh, I'll just jump into this, and it'll probably remind you who this person is. So Activision Blizzard and five named Blizzard Entertainment employees are the target of a new lawsuit filed on behalf of an employee of the company who alleged they experienced sexual harassment and discrimination and were retaliated against, Bloomberg Law reported Wednesday. But I'm reading Polygon because that's the one I could find. The employee in question 
referred to as Jane Doe by attorney Lisa Bloom, first came forward last December to publicly speak out against what they alleged as the company's, quote, alcohol-soaked culture of sexual harassment and, quote, frat boy culture detrimental to women. Now, you may remember there was a videoed sort of presser run by Lisa Bloom, who is an attorney. She was representing one of the people that are involved in this using the name Jane Doe for that person. You could see her. Typically, when it's a Jane Doe complaint, people tend to put a wig on someone or change their appearance in some way and just call them Jane Doe and not their name. And Jane Doe read a statement uh, in front of the camera and all of this stuff. So you might remember that. It was kind of noticeable. It went all over Twitter when that was going on. People commented on a lot of things with that. That's what this is kind of... That's like what you need to know to understand a lot of this stuff here. According to the complaint filed in Los Angeles County Superior Court, Doe's experiences with sexual harassment at Activision Blizzard date back as far as 2017 when they began working as a senior administrative assistant to executives in the company's IT department. The complaint alleges that Doe was made, was subject to multiple sexual advances by her supervisors, included including unwanted touching and kissing, probing questions about her personal life, including an invitation for casual group sex, and retaliation for complaining in writing to Blizzard's then-president, J. Allen Brack, about the sexual harassment they had experienced. Doe applied for an open executive assistant position in November of 2021, but after speaking at the press conference in December, says that their application was rejected. Okay, so that's what this is. The lawsuit seeks damages and orders requiring Activision Blizzard to waive arbitration of sexual harassment and gender discrimination claims to implement a rotating human resources department to prevent conflicts of interest, to retain an outside truly neutral investigation firm or agency, and to implement an anti-retaliation policy, among other orders. Wednesday's lawsuit is the latest in a series of legal actions held against Activision Blizzard, dating back to last summer, and I already kind of talked about those things. So there's that uh, going on. And from here, things get a bit more supportive. Okay. We do have some support here. We do have some legal things happening, maybe not in a way that's good for workers. I'm hoping the one I just read about will change things for workers in a significant, important, useful way, but we'll see. So the Los Angeles Times wrote an article titled, Video Game Workers Found Their Voices in the Pandemic. Could Unions Be Next? I think the answer is yes. They're already trying to unionize. Uh, part of Raven Studios unionized. Vodio Studios unionized before them. Um, there's other gaming companies that are trying to get a union so that they won't be abused on the job anymore. Uh, but I'll read you a little bit of this article. With Christmas a few weeks away, Ona Rangstad had been working around the clock to prepare for the release of new content in Call of Duty Warzone, an entry in the best-selling first-person shooter franchise. The 26-year-old was a quality assurance tester for Raven Software, a Wisconsin video game studio owned by Santa Monica gaming giant Activision Blizzard. She and her teammates were responsible for ensuring everything in the game ran smoothly for players, every weapon, animation, character, map, and event. For five weeks, Weeks, Rongstad placed her life on the on the back burner. From Monday through Saturday, she worked at least 10 and sometimes more than 12 hours. On several occasions, she worked Sundays as well. Unable to find the time to go grocery to the go to the grocery store or cook, she subsisted on takeout. And then on December 3rd, nearly a third of her department was laid off. Going to skip ahead a bit. The following Monday, more than 60 of Raven's QA testers stopped work. Several weeks later, they kicked off 2022 with a vote to unionize. Um, skipping ahead, for decades, workers in the video game industry 
have endured conditions like the ones that preceded Rongstad's layoff. Known as crunch, the brutal stretch leading up to a game's release is an industry rite of passage. I really wish they didn't put that in there because it's not a rite of passage. It's abuse. It breaks people's bodies. It breaks people's mental health. Um, You know, if this person couldn't even find time or money to go get groceries, to eat food, that's not a rite of passage. That's abuse. Moving on. Workers have described working as many as 20 hours a day, sleeping at their offices and scarcely seeing their families, all without getting paid overtime. But lately, a growing segment of the industry's workforce has made it clear that they're not willing to abide by the status quo. In a bid to change it, they've begun taking up the traditional tools of labor organizing, including petitions, walkouts, and full-blown unionization. The video game industry's labor awakening has roots in the Me Too, hashtag MeToo movement of 2018 as women in entertainment and other professions spoke up about their abusers. Employees at Riot Games, developer of League of Legends, painted a picture of a workplace rife with sexism and harassment. In the following months, equal pay and gender discrimination lawsuits were filed. In mid-2020, Ubisoft, the French company responsible for hits including Assassin's Creed and Just Dance, drew attention when employees came forward with allegations of abuse at its studios across the globe. Multiple top executives stepped down and the company vowed to do better. At Activision Blizzard, which developed Overwatch and Diablo, a flurry of news reports in the latter half of 2021 detailed allegations of sexual misconduct and discrimination that led to several worker walkouts, including one demanding the the resignation of Chief Executive Bobby Kotick, who the Wall Street Journal reported was aware of but failed to report to the board several alleged sexual misconduct incidents, including an alleged rape. Activision's woes were reportedly a factor in the company's decision to accept a $68.7 billion acquisition from Microsoft in January. This month, the parents of an Activision Blizzard employee who took her own life during a work retreat filed a lawsuit against the company alleging wrongful death and sexual harassment. With that, I really hope that that family wins that lawsuit because I cannot imagine the pain they must be in after what happened to their child. Now, of course, the child was probably not actually clinically a child, probably was 1920, somewhere in there, what you would assume was an adult. But still, that's got to hurt. And these people deserve something for what happened to their daughter under the, you know, under a company that didn't care enough about her, you know? That's just my own two cents. That's not part of this. But it goes on from here, and there's a lot of stuff in here, and they're talking about Vodeo Games. Okay, Vodeo Games got its union pretty easily. And uh, there's another paragraph I'll read from this. Activision Blizzard did not voluntarily recognize the union formed by the Raven QA testers, forcing workers to file a petition with the National Labor Relations Board, which could eventually facilitate a union election. The NLRB hearing on the petition began last month. There's a lot in here. So if you're not, you know, if you don't work in video games and you want to know kind of what's going on, this is actually a pretty good article to see what people had been enduring and why they need a union. Speaking of unions, the ABK, a better ABK account, the ABK Workers Alliance, posted a tweet on Twitter. They were at the GDC 22. I'm not sure what that is, but it looks like it's one of these conferences there's a lot of people wearing red code cwa shirts around a booth that has a really interesting very kind of tech looking or computer looking i don't know like a little thing around the top of it and it says code cwa and it's got a fist holding up a paintbrush and a pen and a wrench you know and it's got like it looks like the the fist is sort of part of a computer 
thing or something like that. There's a lot of people holding up fists there. The A Better ABK account says there's power in numbers, does a little fist emoji. A big thank you to everyone who stopped by at code underscore CWAs, that's their Twitter account, booth at GDC22 to talk about unionizing in your workplace. So that's really supportive right there in two ways because first people actually went and wanted to know about this. So the people behind that booth or working at that booth or hanging around there, that's they're there to help, to teach you how to unionize. And if there's enough people coming in saying, hey, we want to unionize, help me, they're doing it. That's incredibly supportive. But in addition, it also shows that there were a lot of people that feel that Code CWA is an actually really good place to start with that because they do seem to be really supporting people who want to be in a union. So that's really good. That's a good sign. And then we have this thing from Activision Blizzard, and um, I'm just going to read it to you. It looks like they're trying to help, and I'm not sure what date this was written on exactly. It doesn't show a date on here. So it's called Level Up You, not Level You Up, Level Up You, and it's the letter U, which looks kind of weird, (laughs) you know? But that's what they're calling it. So it says, introducing Level Up You to create opportunities for underrepresented communities in gaming and tech. It's written by Julie Hodges, who is the chief people officer. And this, oh, there it is, is written March 23rd, 2022. Last year, Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotek announced that the company would invest $250 million to accelerate opportunities in gaming and technology for underrepresented communities. With input from our employees, we have been working diligently to find the right opportunities for that investment. Today, I'm pleased to introduce our first key initiative from this fund, Level Up U, which almost sounds like a university, but it's just the letter U. I'm not sure why they worded it that way or had that. I mean, just it's kind of awkward, but here's more. Level Up You is a unique three-month program developed to help individuals from all backgrounds start their careers in gaming. It is designed to teach participants the basics of game development and ultimately prepare them for engineering roles within the company. In addition to traditional classroom and project-based work, those in the program will also have access to our incredible leaders who will serve as guest speakers and mentors. Okay, so it is kind of a university-ish type kind of sort of thing. Our inaugural program will focus on developing engineering talent. We are looking for candidates who have a programming background, familiarity with C++, and are ultimately seeking an engineering position with the company. After completing the program, participants will work with our recruiting team to identify a full-time engineering role that meets both their personal interests and the needs of the company. We recognize this opportunity may be a good fit for individuals who are already part of our organization. Therefore, we are excited to open up the application process to internal candidates who meet the requirements of the program. If selected, individuals would shift out of their current role and be embedded into the program full-time beginning in June. There's a link to where you can learn more about the program. Uh, Julie Hodges ends this by saying, I encourage you to share information about Level Up You with your networks and help us shape what the next generation of engineering talent looks like at Activision Blizzard. This is an incredible opportunity for us to welcome individuals of all backgrounds, regardless of previous game industry experience, to our world-class engineering and development team. So there's that. So let's see what this program does since they've provided a link to it. Okay, so when you click the link to find out what Level Up You is about. There's a little bit that kind of overlaps what I just read, but there's some more details here. It's a three-month training program from June to August 2022. 
It is for engineering candidates. So under who should apply, it says level up you, and they've put the word you, they spelled out the word you and put that in quotes, which is kind of awkward in my opinion from like a writing standpoint, but okay. They wrote, this is about you and your potential regardless of the extent of your previous industry experience. If you have a programming background, an interest in games, and a lifelong learner mentality, you should apply to Level Up You, which is now the letter U again. Here's um, some stuff they want to, uh, to do there. Here's what you'll, you'll level up your skills, including develop a high-level understanding of technical game content creation and engineering, reinforce critical programming fundamentals that are most important for game development, learn directly from senior Activision Blizzard leaders who will serve as program facilitators, collaborate with peers using project-based assignments, learn about our values and how Activision Blizzard is influencing the future of gaming. Here's a handful of people that are going to be helping with that. And how to apply. There's another thing to click in this if you want to apply. If you want to learn more about Activision Blizzard careers, there's a link for that. All individuals who fit the below criteria are encouraged to apply. Here is the criteria. Candidates who have a programming background, familiarity with C++, a willingness to grow and take on new challenges, and a passion for gaming. So if that's you, maybe this will work out for you. There's another thing that Blizzard Entertainment has been doing on its Twitter account for Women's History Month, and they've been highlighting women who work for Blizzard. In the previous Shattered Soulstone, I mentioned Nikki Crenshaw, who is a senior UX researcher, and Alkali Lake, who is the community manager for Hearthstone. And since then, they've highlighted the following women. Uh, Jenny Felton, who is an associate software engineer at World of Warcraft. Natasha Miller, who is a senior research scientist to player interactions and trust. And they highlighted Deandra Lasardo, who is a senior narrative designer on World of Warcraft. And just recently, they highlighted Anna Morgan, cinematic director, story and franchise development. So that's pretty cool that they're highlighting the women that are, you know, in their company doing the thing with, you know, titles behind them showing that they definitely know what they're doing and have the skills to do it, and apparently are doing a good job. So that's really cool. They're doing it for Women's History Month. If you're wondering when Men's History Month is, it's in November. There's, I think it's November 19th is Men's History Day specifically or something like that. So perhaps Blizzard will do something like that when they get to November, but we'll have to wait and see. But I do like that they're actually you know, highlighting people that, you know, that work for them, that are doing good things during Women's History Month, because I don't think I've ever seen a company do this before. And it's good because it gives people, you know, that can look at the Twitter account of Blizzard Entertainment. It gives them the idea, you know, there's going to be some like 12 year old girls out there that want to go into gaming. And now they have a whole bunch of people that, you know, are women in gaming that might make them feel like, okay, maybe I can do this after all. And that's a good thing. In addition, and I don't have this in the show notes, but there's been a lot of people who have been using the hashtag what a game dev looks like. Um, because that's important. And so people have been posting pictures of themselves because they're a game dev and what it looks like. Now, a couple of them decided to use a photo of themselves basically doing a face plant on the ground in front of the orc because they're tired. But a lot of other people have jumped in and I should probably like mention a few of them maybe because I was looking at them. In no particular order, we have, um, let's see. So there's Lily, who's going by the name Lilith Gardner. She is a producer on Diablo 4. 
supporting the VFX and 3D scene dev teams. Prior to joining the Diablo team, she was a product manager in Battle.net, helping to drive the vision on internal platform changes. And she says this is an older selfie. And then we have uh, Ellen Jurek, who joined the gaming industry in 2007, has been a game designer, producer, and game director. And there's a picture of her with her baby, which is really cute. There is a uh, person named Evan, who is a non-binary trans gal working at Senior QA Test Analyst at Sony Santa Monica, was previously at Raven Software and Activision. There's Kate Anderson, who is a non-binary Q&A tester working for Activision QAMN. There's uh, Emilio uh, Pujades, who is a producer for four years now. He's currently producing class design on Diablo 4 at Blizzard and was previously producing cinematics at PlayStation and ArenaNet. He's Cuban and passionate about Latinx in gaming. Pez Radar, Adam Fisher, posted a picture of what a game dev looks like. It's him wearing a shirt that says Diablo 4, a logo on it, and he's making this face at the camera because he chose to. And he wrote, I'm Adam. I've been working in games for 16 years on, and on a variety of games, including Borderlands, Gears of War, Warframe, etc. I'm currently the global community lead for the Diablo franchise at Blizzard. We have Morgan Baker, and um, she wrote, If you told young, deaf Morgan she would be working full-time in games, pretty sure she wouldn't believe you. That's why representation and inclusion matters so much. And I think the first one that I had the Shattered Soulstone count retweet was Ash Sweetring, who's been a producer in varying mobile studios for over seven years. But this year, I've taken on my first AAA title, Diablo 4. There's a lot of people that are working on Diablo 4 and other Diablo games right now and I think that's really cool so um, there's this picture of her with um, one of those headphones that has like cat ears on it which is kind of cute so there's just so many people that are game devs that you would never even think about and also um, not uh, not within the Diablo community but Anne Stickney who you may know of as Shades of Grey she posted one and she wrote hi I'm Anne Stickney I'm a narrative designer for World of Warcraft I like stories large sunglasses and someday I will have the patience to make my hair defy gravity again. But today is not that day, so a photo will have to do. And there's a picture of her that she liked and put it in. And it goes on and on and on. So if you could find that hashtag, just take a look at it. Because it's really interesting to see how many people are representing themselves as, hey, this is what I do. And every time that happens, that sort of thing, where any big company or corporation or industry in general has you know, the ability for people to say, hey, this is what you know, this is what game devs look like. This is what, you know, whatever the other industries are look like. It makes more people feel like maybe I am welcome in this. Maybe I could do this. It makes kids look up to people and say, I could do this when I get older, you know, that kind of thing. And I think that's fantastic. So I wanted to kind of support that a little bit. So it's all over the Shattered Soulstone Twitter. And I didn't want to put it all in the show notes because it's, it'd be a lot, but just go check it out if you get a chance. Moving on, I'm going to switch over to uh, games that are definitely not Diablo 4. And I'm talking about the Hogwarts Legacy game. It is the newest game in the Harry Potter franchise. Now, it's apparently going through Sony or was highlighted by Sony with the showcase they did recently. Now, to to those who have no idea what I'm talking about, because there's always someone where something I'm going to say is new to them, so I'm just going to explain it a little bit. So Hogwarts Legacy is the Harry Potter franchise. You've probably heard of the Harry Potter series of books and the movies, and I'm sure there's like probably like Lego sets and whatever out there too. It's uh, created by J.K. Rowling, who has said some really mean things about trans people on Twitter fairly recently. It's not just yesterday it's it's an ongoing thing i'm going to read you a couple of things from 
websites that write about gaming and well you can take what they say and think about it however you want so this is from fanbyte uh it's titled i c y m i everything from today's hogwarts legacy state of play sony held a showcase for hogwarts legacy the newest game in the harry potter franchise so this is written by imran khan on march 17th which must have been when this was released and he wrote this i'll be straight with you This is not a recap of Hogwarts Legacy, WB Games' latest attempt at applying their port key initiative to make more Wizarding World games. After much discussion, neither I nor the rest of the Fanbyte staff particularly want to engage with the game's marketing. We realize that's a decision people and teams should make individually, and also affects more than just the genuinely vile J.K. Rowling, but at least we're staying out of the pre-release hype cycle for the game. We don't believe this is taking sides in a debate. There is no debate here. Rawlings' feelings, statements, and public campaigning are repugnant and morally wrong. There aren't sides in whether trans human beings deserve equal protection and rights and whether trans children need to be protected. Separating art from the artist isn't a virtue or something to brag about. It just speaks to your ability to close your eyes and ignore the actual real-world harm a living, benefiting person receives from your silence and compliance. Rowling may not be on the active development team for the game, but she continues to benefit from the existence of the IP and its profits in tangible, noticeable ways. That may never actually stop, but we don't have to do our part in feeding it. Instead, we're going to do two things. Give away a vinyl for Celeste from Maddie Makes Games. The giveaway will have its own individual post later. And include a host of links to trans charities, including ones currently fighting the ghoulish efforts in Texas to endanger transgender youth. I'll also be donating to some of these charities myself, says Imran Khan. I personally do not care what games you want to play or how you want to engage with them. I am not here to tell you not to buy anything or demand anything be banned. That still makes you ang- If that still makes you angry, well, I really don't care about that either and then we have one from the verge which is actually an old article but it does shed some light on things this one is titled hogwarts legacy developer leaves after controversy over reactionary youtube videos warner brothers was apparently aware of the channel so i'll read you this it's not very long at all and again it's from 2021 so this precedes sony's picking up the game or allowing it to be viewed on whatever the Sony thing was, which I completely missed. Hogwarts legacy developer Troy Leavitt has left the project following criticism of videos that defended the reactionary Gamergate harassment movement and dismissed sexual misconduct complaints against media executives. Leavitt tweeted the news last night saying he had resigned from studio Avalanche Software despite feeling, quote, absolutely secure in my position. To continue with the the Verge article, Leavitt was the lead designer on Hogwarts legacy, an open world role-playing game game set in the Harry Potter universe. Last month, Did You Know Gaming question mark contributor Liam Robertson highlighted a YouTube channel where Leave It posted videos between 2016 and 2018. This article again was written in 2021. The videos attacked social justice activism and defended figures like Atari co-founder Nolan Bushnell and Pixar co-founder John Lasseter, both of whom have been accused of sexual harassment. In the Bushnell video, Leave It indicated that Avalanche and its parent company Warner Brothers were aware of his YouTube channel. Leavitt said on Twitter that he had, quote, made the decision to part ways with Avalanche Software, end quote, and would be releasing a video about the decision soon. And he's got um, a couple of tweets in this and whatever. You can read that part if you want. Leavitt's connection to Avalanche escalated an existing controversy over the game. Hogwarts Legacy was announced soon after Harry Potter author J.K. Rowling published comments calling trans activism a threat to women, which, for the record, it's not. 
<laughs> I mean, it's really not. Um, as well as a novel whose villain reflected anti-transgender tropes. That's a pattern. That's a pattern. Unfortunately, she's continued this pattern. Uh, the comments led to Warner Brothers to clarify that Rowling was not involved in the production of the game, although she would likely make money from it. Later, rumors suggested that Hogwarts Legacy would specifically allow transgender characters in a push for inclusivity. The, the resurfaced Levitt videos pushed popular pushed popular forum Reset Era to ban threads about Hogwarts Legacy. And they wrote, This is a uniquely awful situation where both the creator of the IP and a senior producer on the game have unrepentant, bigoted views, wrote an administrator from Reset Era. There will be no threads or trailers or official announcements, no hype threads, no fluff pieces about its features. It's unclear what, if anything, Leave Its Departure meant for the game. Um, and it says the game was initially set to release in 2021, but was later pushed to 2022. So this is the background on how that game got started. And it makes me uncomfortable with it entirely. For clarification, um, I'm non-binary. I'm not a woman. I'm not a man. I'm non-binary. And I have friends that fit within LGBTQ. And I don't like to see things like this that appear to be made by people who hate people like me and my friends. So this is why I'm bringing it up. I know there's a lot of people out there that absolutely love the Harry Potter games and movies and maybe were children when they were watching them and they have this nostalgia. And that's, you know, if you already own the stuff... You're not actually giving any more money to J.K. Rowling. So, I mean, you can enjoy it at home if that's your thing. Fine. If it makes you feel icky, don't do it. There's a lot of a lot of that. I've read most of the books. I've seen some of the movies. But I was already an adult by the time this came out. And I know there's going to be people that are super excited to want to play this game and that don't know anything about J.K. Rowling herself. Maybe they're not on social media. Maybe they don't care. But... This sort of thing is important to mention because if you start playing it and you have friends that are LGBTQ, especially if you have friends that are trans, um, they may not be real thrilled with you because it's going to feel like an attack. So just a heads up on that. In addition, uh, Taliesin and Avatel, um, who you've probably heard of, they make uh, video game. They play video games together. They make videos about video games. They talk about. Uh, I've seen some of the videos, and they're really good. They're in depth, and they're talking about things that need to be said about, uh, you know different parts of World of Warcraft and various other things. So they posted a short thread and it says this, we won't be playing the Harry Potter game. We used to play Lego HP on Xbox together when we first started dating and Tally's first Christmas present for Evie was a trip to HP Studios, but times change, turfs suck. The plot to the new game is also like weirdly problematic sounding, possibly due to the game director being an ex-Gamergate dude, I don't know, whatever, will hold out for an Earthsea game. Sure, I don't have to say this, but no judgment on anyone who plays and enjoys it. No ethical consumption and all that. But it's just our choice. And we, we talk about games and our history is pretty well known. So it's relevant to mention it. Still, our very strong opinion is that you shouldn't buy the turf game, you know? So there's a lot of pushback. Going back to Axios and Steven Totillo, uh, there's an article here titled A Possible Solution to Video Games Romance Problem. And it's got uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey screenshot, you know? <laughs> And it's really short, so I'm just going to redo some of this stuff. Now, to be fair, I haven't played any Assassin's Creed because I don't have a PlayStation or whatever it's needed for, and I don't have a, a PC computer. So, But I have some idea of what these games are like. I've seen people post little videos of it and stuff like that. So 
I've got an idea. It is not the only romance game out there. There's several others. So Stephen Totillo is writing about something that uh, Michelle Klo said in a talk at the Games Developers Conference in San Francisco. And the main idea was video game creators should consider offering more complex depictions of interactive romance. That's what designer Michelle Klo was talking about. Why it matters. More interesting in-game depictions of love, flirtation, and courtship could attract players who crave more than the medium's current simplistic approaches. The details. Klo critiqued, quote, kindness coins, end quote, a common transactional form of game romance arguing for more complex systems tied to chemistry and attraction. Blockbusters such as Mass Effect and Assassin's Creed Odyssey use the kindness coins approach in which players romantically engage computer-controlled characters with, quote, nice interactions, usually simple dialogue choices or the giving of a gift, and expect eventual reciprocity. Player choices gradually fill an invisible meter until the other character responds, maybe with a flirtatious comment or a kiss or a ratings-appropriate non-interactive sex scene. Flow proposes a system tied to a range of actions, which many of which already exist in scores of games to attract non-player characters or NPCs. There's no reason why NPCs couldn't be attracted to the way your character fights or their look or how they talk, how they pet cats, conquer kingdoms. You get the idea. Broadening how attraction could work in games, she says, frees up frees us up to tell more kinds of love and sex stories and more ways people can be drawn to one another. Instead of a coin or vending machine model, Klo encourages developers to think about a house of cards where each action delicately builds towards a goal. Or maybe a casino where players can't game the system and feel like they're taking romantic chances without guaranteed outcomes. Uh, someone says yes, but uh, that's probably... This, that's what's titled Yes But. Some players don't want complex romance in games, Chloe said. Many players are busy and stressed and don't want to strain their brain just to kiss their favorite character. That's a quote. <laughs> that's kind of funny to me. Um, the simpler system should remain in some games, she said, but she wants to nudge more developers to try more complex things. Uh, Close talk was preceded by another about the limitations of romance in games. The presenter, academic Lindsay Grace, showed a slide of a game that included a prompt to press a button to flirt. <laughs> Press a button to flirt. Weird. That's not awkward at all. No. Uh, the packed audience saw a couple hundred game of a couple hundred game developers laughed. The reoccurring takeaway: something better, more nuanced, is possible. So, maybe romance things. If you're if you're into those, I don't care either way if you're into those or not into those. But if you are and you'd like to see something more than press F to flirt, then. <laughs> Maybe this would be helpful and like support what you want more than what you're actually getting in these types of games. Okay, speaking of support, there's been uh, a 9.2.5 PTR development in World of Warcraft, and I'm not going to read you through all of that because I think most of us listening to this are probably playing Diablo games more than World, World of Warcraft. And if you're already playing Warcraft, then you probably know. But there's a little piece down here at the bottom of this called User Interface and Accessibility. All search filter dropdowns now have a button that lets you easily remove all active filters. The default hand cursor now has a new higher resolution art for its larger sizes under interface options and accessibility. And the report player pane has been redesigned with new categories added and that will be available in a later PTR build. So being able to filter dropdowns is good because it gets some, probably would get some clutter off the screen. But the making the size of the hand cursor bigger is going to make it easier for people who have low vision or are visually impaired, or whatever they 
description fits them to maybe see where their cursor is so they can like play the game you know that's that's pretty cool that's definitely supportive and now we're going to go into Diablo stuff. So Pez Radar on March 21st said, excited for the Diablo 4 quarterly update blog next week. This was written on the 21st. Today is the 24th as I'm recording this. The team dives into environment art. Most of the past updates have had a good amount of block out levels. So this is a great peek into the updates on the art side. Lots of eye candy, including videos to check out. So there is going to be a Diablo 4 quarterly coming out very soon. And that's pretty much what it's going to be about. There's also um, on the, let's see. Okay, also by Pez Radar. Diablo 2 Resurrected 2.4 and Ladder Update March 24th, which again is, um, you know, is when I started recording this episode. So I'm going to just read this to you. Hi all, we wanted to provide an update to the Diablo community regarding the latest on the 2.4 balance changes patch and our very first ladder season. First, we just wanted to thank everyone for the feedback and testing over the last several weeks as we honed in on various database server and balance changes that will be arriving with this update for, P for Diablo 2 Resurrected D2R. Originally, we planned to have this update out by the end of this month, but unfortunately, it ran into some snags. I know your first reaction may be, here we go again, which he put in all caps and put italics over and an exclamation point at the end, which everyone has a right to say is getting this update perfected for ladder has been quite a journey, but we did want to explain some of the circumstances that lead to this adjustment in dates and at, a, at the same time provide you with updates on the new expected release of 2.4 and the start of ladder to ensure players have enough time to plan for that race that occurs with the start of each ladder season. So what happened here? As you may recall, we have been working through extensive updates on the back end and database services for the game. Over the past few months, the team has been implementing these updates to the server and database using learnings from the PTR, Public Test Realm, and from the immense help with the community uh, that the community provided during these testing phases. Last week, we had some extended downtime for D2R, which was to implement the final batch of changes from our PTR to, produ to our production environments. During this update, we unfortunately ran into quite a few showstoppers that did not appear on the PTR but were present in production environments. Due to that we extended the maintenance as we needed to roll back the changes so we didn't affect users and could get the game back up and running. What were these showstoppers? One, we experienced an issue where a good swath of stashes did not convert correctly. The database unfortunately did not mitigate to the new format and was not seen in the PTR until we moved it to production. This was due to PTR testing being brand new to the game. Two, there was a missing index on the database which was causing things to go much slower in production and this was not noticeable on the PTR. This then led to, to slow joining and creation of games. We were able to add the index but additional time was required required to look over the database performance and ensure we did not have any other new slow points. Lastly, because PTR was just one single regional da database, it, we experienced a few additional database issues on production as that has multiple regions and thus didn't surface some of the new errors we were seeing. Thankfully, this will be addressed in future PTR since there will be multiple regional databases going forward. So that's the showstoppers. Since last week's maintenance, the team has been able to identify and address all of these issues and will be doing another maintenance for DR, D2R to implement these changes to production on March 29th. 
We expect downtime to be around six hours for these changes. These updates will allow us to have an improved experience during high load times where we would otherwise need to rely on longer queue times and higher rate limiting on game sessions during very high traffic situations. With that maintenance, we should be good to go for getting 2.4 out to users. 2.4 is currently planned for an April 14 release. Ladder will, will release two weeks later on April 28. So that's basically what that is. And then they apologize. And so that's what's going on with D2R. And we're going to move into some of the community stuff. So Pure Diablo, they've posted Barbarian and Amazon Improved Build Variety Patch 2.4. So that's what this is about. They've got an image put together with both the Barbarian and the Amazon in there. And so I'll read you a tiny bit of this. After last week's overview of the Lord of Destruction introduced classes, it's time to make to take a look at two more of our heroes. So they've been going through this with different heroes. The Howling Barbarian and our non-sightless eye sister, the Amazon, and updates from the 2.4 patch. Both of these characters have really good farm capabilities, with Amazon's Lightning Fury being, dare I say, the Queen of Cows, and the Howling's Hork Master's ability to push the council for extra loot each run. They've got a fair number of quality changes to improve their build variety this update, and some are not too happy in the PvP world of of the Amazon's bow changes. So there's a section on the Amazon, there's a section on the Barbarian, and I'll let you go through that if you're interested in that or if you're playing one of those classes or thinking about it. We've also got some stuff from Zitmus or Xmas. I'm not sure how to say it. Somebody will correct me at some point, I hope. Um, one of them's got to be right. And uh, they tweeted... I also collected rare Diablo 3 concepts that were never officially released by Blizzard for final promotion. This was probably for the Scovos Isles, one of the cut zones for Diablo 3. The art is by Peter Lee, and there is a there's a picture here, and it looks it just it looks like it's underwater. There's a huge statue with like a trident in the you know highlighted in light. There's a darker area where there's a little tiny, you know, figure that's probably the player character, maybe. And they're really neat. So it's, it's just a really neat piece of art. I don't know what happened to it. It is definitely signed Peter Lee 07. So that's kind of cool to look at. And Zipmus also has a YouTube video that is, let's see if I can find it. Yeah, that's titled Frenzy Daggers Barbarian New 2.4 Meta Diablo 2 Resurrected. So that's all of this will be linked in the show notes if you want to check out any of that. We have uh, Trix Magistus, Ashley, and she's got a very short 14 second little clip from her playing Diablo 2 where uh, she described this one as uh, manifested a bear rune. Let's go. And was live at the time that she was posting this. You can see that little clip on her Twitter account. And then Blizz Planet wrote this. A few days ago, at Wowhead, invited me to join them as a Diablo Immortal contributor slash writer. I'm working on some guides, which I hope will protect will help protect Sanctuary soon, TM. And there is a picture here of the Ashwald Cemetery in Diablo Immortal and it's a really detailed map it's got like color coding for different things it's a very clear route you can take to get through you know it's where the roads are and things like that it's pretty neat and if this is an example of what this person can do then yeah they're gonna do great things with maps for Diablo Immortal and I think that's totally cool and uh, we have Nick Quaglietta, who has commented on the show before. But what I'd like to do is highlight something that he posted on March 20. He wrote on Twitter, Open invitation to anyone. 
who may be interested in joining a friendly D3 community for Season 26. We support players at any level with Challenge Rift, Seasonal Journey slash Theme, Gear Checks, etc. Our D3 community is Children of Lilith, which is a great name for a D3 community <laughs> or any Diablo community. Uh, you could also find them at, uh, there's a Twitch account linked to it. So if you want to find a group and you want to find, if you feel like this community would be a good one for you, you can go ahead and check that out and have a supportive community to work with when season 26 starts. And so that's basically it for what I have today. And I do feel like a lot of this was pointing towards support for people. So that's why I called the show support team collectively. It seems like things could be getting better in some ways. And it's also about like, you know, protecting people from harm, that kind of stuff. So hopefully you have your own support team out there somewhere for whoever you are. Maybe it's your family, your friends, the people you play games with. And I'm going to close the show now. You have been listening to episode 352 of The Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. Missed an episode? You can find the show blog and listen to the show archives at www.shatteredsoulstone.com. Come join us in game. Our in-game community and clan in Diablo 3 is named, both are named Shattered Soulstone and are open to anyone who would like to join. You can also join us on Discord for the ultimate team and community-based experience. Find the Discord invitation link on our Twitter and Facebook page, as well as at the Shattered Soulstone website. Thank you for listening. That word, ever since I've had to say Activision so often, I keep mixing it up with activism, and it's, yeah, so just forgive me of that.